the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Let's first see what poor in spirit does not mean. Number one, to be poor in spirit is not the same thing as being materially or financially poor. That's what many people think it means, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, not blessed are the poor. and, And yet so many people gravitate to this thinking that there's some virtue in being below the poverty level. Yet nowhere in the Bible is poverty presented as a good thing. It's just a reality. In the early centuries of the Christian faith, there were many people who believed that wealth was a sign of greed and that poverty revealed some inner righteousness. Some people developed lives of eccentric self-denial and became hermits. They often followed strict diets that included only the cheapest and most foul foods. They even denied themselves proper clothing, all in an effort to live righteously poor. Today, such hermits can still be witnessed in other world religions. Hello and welcome to another broadcast of Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is teaching a series of messages taken from the Sermon on the Mount. Today we will be examining the first part of the Beatitudes as they are given in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus states, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Anyone who has witnessed true poverty in the world knows that the poor in this life face many difficulties and endure many abuses that the wealthy and middle classes do not face. Perhaps that is why our human nature wants to assume that they will automatically be blessed with much in the life to come. Yet God's word is clear that only those who have been born again through Jesus Christ by the power of God's spirit can ever enter the kingdom of God. Poverty and suffering alone cannot change the hearts of men and remove the wickedness that resides there. So just what does it mean to be poor in spirit, and why does Jesus say theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Here's Pastor Steve with the answer. Now this concept of bless is an important one for us to grasp. If you understand it in the sense of approval, as, as I believe it should be, then you understand that the most important thing in life is to have God's smile upon your life, His approval. Not the approval of family, not the approval of friends or business associates, as much as we might like that. That's not what we work for. If you have that, fine, but that's not what you work for. In fact, if you live to get the approval of others, you will probably not have God's approval on your life because his approval comes by being in right relationship with him. And that often brings the disapproval of others as you have to take stands and not compromise the truth of Scripture. In fact, not only disapprove, it often brings outright persecution. So our goal is to please him. That's our goal in life and to have his approval. So what did Jesus mean by emphasizing blessed in, in the Beatitudes? He meant that those who possess the character qualities he mentions in each of the Beatitudes has God's approval. 
God's approval. Why? Because they are the ones and the only ones in right relationship with him as citizens of his kingdom. Now, that naturally then leads us to wonder, what does a citizen of, of the kingdom look like? What are they like in their innermost being? And so we move now to the second question as Jesus begins to identify the inner core being of, the, of a citizen of his kingdom. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? That's the second question. What does it mean to be blessed? It means to be approved. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Jesus tells us that those who are blessed of God and by God are those who are poor in spirit. It is absolutely essential that we understand what Jesus meant by being poor in spirit. In fact, it is so important that in his masterful commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones called this first beatitude the key to all that follows. Miss this and you miss the whole thing. He said there is no entry into the kingdom of heaven apart from it. So this is obviously foundational. This is, this is key. It holds the key to entering his kingdom. So it's critical that we understand exactly what the Lord meant. And yet I have to say, this first beatitude is probably the most misunderstood of all the beatitudes because anytime you see the word poor associated with heaven or the kingdom of heaven, people tend to conjure up all kinds of of peculiar views about poverty and about what it takes to be a, a Christian. So I think it would be helpful for us to just spend a few minutes eliminating misconceptions and erroneous views about what it means to be poor in spirit. Once you do that, it's a lot easier to grasp what he did mean by this expression. So let's first see what poor in spirit does not mean. Number one, to be poor in spirit is not the same thing as being materially or financially poor. That's what many people think it means, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, not blessed are the poor. Yeah, and, and yet so many people gravitate to this thinking that there is some virtue in being below the poverty level. Yet nowhere in the Bible is poverty presented as a good thing. It's just a reality. As someone has put it, the poor man is no nearer to the kingdom of heaven than the rich man. In fact, let's just be reasonable about this. If Jesus, for the sake of conversation, let's say Jesus, if he was teaching that, that by being poor, it opened the door to heaven, then you know what? It would be actually a cruel thing to give to poor people. Let them stay poor. Because if you give them and now they're not poor, they can't get into heaven. And that doesn't make sense at all. In fact, it would contradict what he said in chapter 5, verse 42. Give to him who asks you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So that, that's unreasonable. That's, that's, that's silly. That's nonsense. Not even logical. Poverty doesn't make a person spiritual just as wealth doesn't make someone unspiritual. There were very, the Bible speaks of some godly people who are very wealthy. We have Abraham in the Old Testament who had so much in terms of livestock. And then you had Barnabas in the New Testament who was a wealthy landowner. So that, that's not what he's talking about. Not what he's talking about. It's not, not about being, being financially poor. There's only one person in the Bible, in all the Bible, one person who Jesus specifically said that he is to give up all of his possessions, sell them, give to the poor, and then come follow Christ. Only one person. He's called the rich young ruler of Matthew chapter 19. You don't need to turn there, but the context makes it very clear that the reason Jesus told this rich young man to give it all up is because this man had made an idol of his possessions. 
It isn't that money is wrong. And it isn't that being poor is wrong. It's your attitude towards money and your attitude towards poverty. Because Jesus said through the Apostle Paul that, that the sin is those who desire to be rich. You can be very poor and yet have the most covetous, horrible, wretched attitude. And so Jesus told this, this rich young ruler, give it all up because, man, you've made an idol of that and you cannot come to me as long as there's an idol reigning in your life. And yet it's very interesting, down through the ages, based on, on this verse, there have been some, especially in the Roman Catholic tradition, who have, who have taken vows of poverty, thinking that that will get them into the kingdom of heaven. And yet that's not what Jesus meant at all. We can also say, secondly, that being poor in spirit does not mean to be, note this, poor-spirited. It does not mean to be poor-spirited in the sense of being shy or, or weak or lacking in courage or having a poor self-image. Jesus did not say, blessed are the wimps of this world. He didn't say that. It's not what this is even saying, let alone meaning. He wasn't promoting passivity or a lack of aggression, or denouncing assertiveness, some of the most well-known and commendable Bible characters were men of great passion and boldness and courage and, and aggression. They possessed tremendous zeal like Moses. You had David in the Old Testament, Jonathan, his, his best friend. You have in the New Testament, Paul, and, and Peter, certainly. So this is not talking about that. If, 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 man, if being poor in spirit has nothing to do with being financially poor or having a shy and retiring personality, then the question is, what, what does it mean? Well, the key to understanding this type of poverty is to see that Jesus was referring to a spiritual poverty. Poor in spirit, he said. See, he was not referring to the condition of your checkbook, but the condition of your spirit, in this context, meaning your heart, your, your inner being. He's referring to the poverty that ought to be in our souls, a spiritual poverty that recognizes we have no resources, no spiritual resources within us to merit God's favor. That's what he's talking about. And you know what? This, we know this is exactly what he meant based on, on the Greek word that's used for poor. The word that's used for poor here in the Greek language, and they had, they had different words, but this word does not mean being on the poor side, but you have a little bit. You know, there's the wealthy and then middle class. Well, you're in the lower extreme. You're, you're in the poor end, but you can make ends meet. That's not what this word means. This word that was used means complete destitution, no resources. You have nothing. This was the word used for someone who begged because they had, they had no resources. They were destitute. In fact, this particular New Testament Greek word comes from a verb meaning to shrink, to cower, to, to cringe, because so often that was the posture of someone who begged. They were, they were just cringing and, and shrinking and cowering because they were ashamed of, of being a beggar. In classical Greek literature, this word was often used to refer to a person who was completely destitute, who crouched in a corner begging because they were so ashamed and embarrassed by it. And, and the picture you find in Greek literature is of one who, who held out one hand for some charity but covered his face with the other hand because he was, he was too embarrassed and ashamed of being recognized. So when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he means blessed are the spiritual beggars. 
the spiritual beggars, those who are so desperately poor in their spiritual resources that they not only have nothing, but they know that they have nothing. All of us have nothing, but not everybody knows it. Not everybody knows it. He's speaking of those who in their hearts are cringing before God when they recognize how sinful they are. So in plain terms, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And how does that relate to being in God's kingdom? Everyone, everyone who is a citizen of, of the kingdom enters the kingdom by first shamefully acknowledging that they are unworthy sinners, that they are spiritually bankrupt. They have absolutely nothing in themselves that would commend them to God. Absolutely nothing. They are only deserving of his wrath and eternal judgment. Once again, here's how Lloyd-Jones described what it means to be poor in spirit. He wrote, it means a complete absence of pride a complete absence of self-assurance and self-reliance. It means a consciousness that we are nothing in the presence of God. It is nothing then that we can produce. It is nothing that we can do in ourselves. It is just this tremendous awareness of our utter nothingness as we come face to face with God. End of quote. That's a great quote. That's exactly what it means. And you know, our Lord told a parable that perfectly illustrates what it means to be poor in spirit, and really what it doesn't mean, just the opposite. If you look at Luke chapter 18, you'll see this parable that Jesus gave, and he even explained why he gave it, the point of it, the message of it. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9, we read this. He also, Luke tells us, told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So, so he's aiming at people who think that they're better than others. They are oozing with self-righteousness. And so he tells us this, a story. Verse 11, or verse 10 rather, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, he says, was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. He, write, he said, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Now there's a hint right there. I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he, and then he paraded before God his virtues. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, why? Because he was so ashamed. This is a man who, who, as I told you, it's like he's covering his face. He's, he's, he's cringing, standing a distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, meaning this tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. The other that everybody, I might add, was impressed with except God. For everyone, Jesus said, who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I want you to notice, I want you to notice something. Notice at the end of verse 13, what this tax collector called himself. He, he didn't say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's, in, that's a definite article. It's in the Greek text. The sinner. In other words, this man didn't think of himself as a sinner amongst others. Like, you know, we're all in this boat together. I'm a sinner. He's a sinner. She's a sinner. Big deal. That wasn't his attitude. He said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It's as if he was saying, I am the most wretched of all sinners on this planet. It's like he's using Paul's language later on where Paul says, I am the chief 
of sinners. I am the sinner. I am worse than anybody else. That's how I feel. And folks, that's how everyone in the kingdom of God feels about their sin and about themselves. They are so aware of their utter depravity that they think of themselves as the most sinful person on the face of the earth. And if somebody says, no, I'm the chief of sinners, you have to disagree with them. No, I think you're wrong. I am. That's the, that's the attitude. You're going to have an argument with somebody. Have it over that. I think John Wesley captured the very spirit of what it means to be poor in spirit with these words. He wrote, he has a deep sense of the loathsome leprosy of sin, which he brought with him from his mother's womb, which overspreads his own soul and totally corrupts every power and the faculty thereof. That, that is a great statement. Listen, this is the attitude of everybody in the kingdom of heaven. Because without this attitude, this acknowledgement of your spiritual bankruptcy, you cannot be in God's kingdom. You cannot be there. And that's why Jesus concluded this beatitude by saying, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that leads us to the third, third question that helps to unfold this. Third question is, what is the result of being poor in spirit? And obviously the answer is that those who are poor in spirit have entered presently, now, the kingdom of heaven. But it means more than that. It means that those who are poor in spirit are the only ones who have entered God's kingdom. Why? Because it is only the poor in spirit who can enter this kingdom because the way into God's kingdom is only through an acknowledgement that you have no right to be there because you have no righteousness of your own. You are spiritually destitute. In and of ourselves, those who are there, we know we don't belong. In and of ourselves. As someone has wisely said, the door into the kingdom is low very low, and no one who stands tall will ever go through it. It's low. And you see this so clearly um, illustrated and modeled in the life of the Apostle Paul. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, because Paul was a man before his conversion who was just like that Pharisee who said, "I, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Now, in context, in Philippians 3, Paul is addressing those who were false teachers and who were denying the gospel, and they were very proud of their backgrounds. They were probably Jewish people who, just like himself, uh, used to pride themselves, except he stopped, but they continued to pride themselves on all their accomplishments and how good they thought they were. And so Paul says in Philippians 3, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He said, we're, we're, we're not like them. We put, they put confidence in the flesh. We don't. Verse 4, although I myself might have confidence in the flesh. What he's saying is if anybody thinks that they could parade their accomplishments, let me tell you a little bit about my accomplishments. He said, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Well, how great were you, Paul? He says he was, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day. That's the prescribed day in the Old Testament. Not the first, not the second. I realize we do it differently for medical purposes. But to an Orthodox Jewish person, it was the eighth day. Not the ninth, not two weeks later. It was the eighth day. And Paul had it right. I should say his parents had it right. He says, of the nation of Israel, he was of the right nation, the covenant people of God. The people that God says that they are the apple of his eye. Uh, of the tribe, he says, of Benjamin, the right tribe, an honored tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he said, I was a Pharisee, which means that I, I kept the outward 
codes and, and festivals and all the rituals. As to zeal, he said, I was a persecutor of the church because I, I killed people and persecuted those I thought were going and speaking against the God of Israel. As to the righteousness which is of the law, he said, I was found blameless. does not mean that he was perfect. It means that as far as the outward performance of, of civil and judicial laws, he did it. And even moral laws. Paul was morally responsible. Outwardly, he says, outwardly, I look good. But notice verse 7, the tone changes. But whatever things were gained to me, meaning all of these things that made me look good, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I, I, I gladly give it up, and you'll see why in verse 8. More than that, more than just giving it up, he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, notice this, but rubbish so that I may gain Christ that may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now let's stop here and and consider this. At one time, Paul tells us he was a self-righteous religious leader who thought of himself as a pretty big deal, as an, uh, an accomplished man, a man who was rich in religious deeds and, and religious achievements. But he came to see his own, I want you to see this, his own righteousness and religious accomplishments for what they were called. In verse 8, he calls them rubbish. Rubbish. You know what the Greek word rubbish means? It can either refer to human excrement or garbage, leftovers, trash from a meal. It may be that Paul is referring to to both in this case, but that's how it's used in in other literature. In either case, it accurately reveals how spiritually bankrupt Paul was and and how bankrupt he knew he was. That the best he had to offer, and folks, this is not the worst he had to offer. This is the best he had to offer. He said God considers it as valuable as manure and trash. That's precisely what he means by this. And, And you know what? Paul never forgot how spiritually destitute he was apart from Christ. Even years later, as a mature believer in the Lord, he said in Romans 7, 18, that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. His riches now were the riches of Jesus Christ and salvation. He said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 15, that he was still the chief of sinners. Not I was the chief of sinners, and I'm a whole lot better now. I recognize I still am the chief of sinners. Folks, every one of us comes into the kingdom the same way, by bowing low in humility before a holy yet merciful God and admitting that we have nothing to boast of before him, that we are spiritually bankrupt and penniless. You have nothing. Not a few cents. You have nothing. You're penniless. Practically speaking, you know what that means? It means that our pride, before we can be saved, our pride has to be dealt with. Our pride has to be dealt with. That, that all the things that we once boasted about, such as family, heritage, our nationality, how people are so proud of their national and, and ethnic backgrounds, our education, I have a master's degree, I have a doctorate, I have two, three doctorates, that type of thing. Big deal. Rubbish. Trash, it's like manure, Paul said. We boast about our career accomplishments. I'm at the pinnacle of my career or our self-discipline or or our moral responsibility and respectability or our religious contributions, our wealth, our natural temperaments, our um, positions in life, the achievements of our children. 
that people are often so proud of the, uh, about. And our grandchildren, listen, to be poor in spirit means that you come before a holy God and you are empty-handed. Empty-handed. And that's the only way of entering into His kingdom. Those who try to enter the kingdom of God by contributing to their own salvation, whether it be through, through a good deed or baptism or church membership or tithing or extra tithing, they're not going to make it. They're, not gonna, they're turned away because the way into the kingdom is by bowing low. That's why being poor in spirit is the very first of the Beatitudes because it's the foundation of all the rest since it addresses the very first step a person must take in becoming a Christian. It certainly goes against our nature to admit that we have nothing good in ourselves. And yet, according to Jesus, this humble admission is the first step to experiencing the blessings which God offers. We will continue to examine this idea in our next broadcast. I want to thank you for tuning in to Verse by Verse today. We count it a real honor that you have spent some of your valuable time with us. It is our prayer that you have been encouraged or challenged through the teaching of God's Word as it was presented on the program. If you would like to know more about Verse by Verse or if you are interested in partnering with us to help us cover the financial costs of these daily Bible studies, please give us a call at 727-239-0306. Now for Steve Kreloff and the rest of the staff here, I'm Peter Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.